You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of all the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has been or ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, neither man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the month of... the the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. For seven days, you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person should be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold an assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work should be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt." Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven should be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat um, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of, uh, people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where, there was <coughs> where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. And go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses uh, told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and for gold jewellery and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them. 
and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes on the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Well, amen. I hope you got all of that. (laughs) And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word to us. Well, when John the Baptist saw Jesus uh, walking along, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. The Apostle Peter said, um, You were... Of Christians, you are ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and as we come to celebrate Easter, we're thinking uh, from from the Scriptures about what the Scripture says about Jesus as as the Lamb of God. As we saw this morning, he's, he was the he's the ram caught in the in the thicket. All these things foreshadow the death of Christ. And as we consider them and and think on them and meditate on them, it helps us to consider more more deeply the meaning of the death of Christ for his people. And so we come to this uh, passage, this great passage in Exodus. And really we see here, this first section or chapter 11, really we see that what's happening here is a climax. This is the last of these great plagues. And then, uh, as we look uh, at the passage, we see uh, woven together is that first Passover night, as they were delivered from Egypt, and then woven into that are the instructions of how Israel are to keep the Passover and to always to remember it from generations to come. Those sort of things, the narrative sort of dips in and out as it goes backwards and forth between those two things. But what I um, want to look at, I just want to pull out two things really from this. Uh, First off, I just want us to see, mainly as we look at chapter 11, um, the Lord's sovereign control over all that is going on in the events of the Exodus. The Lord's sovereign control. And then we'll come on to consider in chapter 12 uh, the Lord's provision of a lamb. So very simply, just want to draw out a couple of things from this great, uh, great reading that we had. So in chapter 11, it starts off, um, it says, the, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring on Pharaoh and upon Egypt. The Lord, the Lord had brought nine plagues or nine blows. He had struck Egypt uh, nine times already and there are there are three cycles of three plagues these, these first nine plagues so it starts with the, the, the blood and then out on the Nile and then out, out of the, the Nile come the, the, the 
the frogs, and then it's the, if I, if I get it right, it's the gnats, and then the flies, the livestock and the boils, and then another cycle, the hail, the locusts, and the darkness. And um, as we look at it, there is a sort of a connection and a progression between these different plagues, and there's different things uh, going on, and uh, repays uh, close study these these um, these developing plagues, and there's also just this intensification uh, in what it what is going on. So Pharaoh, though, has had these nine plagues already, and in these things, the Lord is he's demonstrated his complete sovereign power and control over and against the rival claims of Pharaoh and uh, the gods of Egypt. So on, on the one hand, you have Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, uh, uh, and the different plagues seem to strike against the different deities in Egypt. So you have this whole pantheon of the gods of Egypt, the, the river god, the, the god of the Nile, and the various fertility gods. The, the frogs were connected with the fertility gods, and then the, the livestock, you have like the bull cult. And each of the plagues seem to strike at a different part of this pantheon of gods, and then the, well, the sun god, of course, being very important in Egypt, and you have that plague of, of darkness. So Pharaoh himself considered to be a son of the gods, a deity himself. So, so as these plagues go, there is this contest between, well, who is Lord? Um, is it Pharaoh and his gods, or is it Yahweh? Is it the Lord uh, through his, uh, and through his uh, spokesman, uh, Moses? This great contest. And at the beginning, you remember, Pharaoh is very dismissive. Who is the Lord that I should let the people go? But as these things go on, it becomes increasingly obvious uh, to everyone that the Lord is God and that he is sovereign over all the things. And it is not the gods of Egypt and it is not Pharaoh who is in control, but that it is uh, the Lord who is the God of heaven and earth. And this is increasingly recognized, isn't it? Remember the magicians uh, they start off trying to do their own magic arts, rather helpfully replicating the frogs and the gnats and this sort of thing. Um, eventually they come and they, they see that this is the finger of God and they, they come and they come to listen to the voice of, of Moses. And we see that this great movement of many even within Egypt coming to recognize who is the true, who is the living God, that it is not the gods of Egypt, uh, these pretended gods and that full system but that it is the Lord who is the God of, of heaven and earth. So, um, but Pharaoh, um, he, he's hardened his own heart, and then the, the Lord also has hardened his heart. He is, continues, in spite of these great plagues, these great blows, these great warnings, um, to, um, he's, he continues to prevent the people from going to, to worship the Lord. And there's been this, um, this warning right at the beginning, the Lord has said to him, um, uh, let my people go uh, or I will, um, I will kill your firstborn son. There's been Moses has come before him. Uh, Pharaoh, as you remember, has been killing the firstborn sons of, um, of Israel. And so the Lord comes to him and confronts him and says, let, let my people go or I will kill your firstborn son. This terrible threat and then Pharaoh has had these nine warnings, nine blows, and yet he remains stubborn and he's high, um, hides, he hardens his heart. And so it's yet one plague he will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And afterwards, 
uh, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Remember, Pharaoh had been trying to negotiate. He'd say, well, the men can go just three days, or, or the men and the women could go, but the livestock have to remain here. But here, he's letting them go completely. This is going to be a full uh, exodus of all the people. Um, and they would ask for silver and gold jewellery and thus plunder the Egyptians. And, and this had all been promised. You remember right back to um, Genesis 15, God had promised to Abraham that they would plunder the Egyptians, that after 430 years that they would go out and, and have much uh, plunder from the Egyptians. And so we see that um, all these things are then taking taking. Um, place according to God's own uh, sovereign hand. And so the Egyptians, they are coming to, to recognize that Yahweh is Lord. Um, and Moses says that uh, these servants, the servants of Pharaoh, will come uh, down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. So the, the servants and the high officials will bow down uh, before Moses and recognize uh, what is going on here. And so we see in all these things that the, the Lord's sovereign control, he is at work in all these events uh, to the end that his own power, his own science, his own wonders will be multi uh, multiplied in Egypt. So at the beginning, Pharaoh said, you know, who is the Lord that I should let these people go? By the end, it becomes abundantly plain who the Lord is, that is sort of made known to Israel, to Egypt, and this great revelation of God's power and sovereignty is made known really to, to the surrounding nations and peoples. So uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, uh, said, now I know that uh, Yahweh is Lord. He, he recognizes God, um, God's sovereignty in all these events uh, of the, the exodus. And so uh, Moses leaves in hot anger. He just sees the destruction that Pharaoh is bringing on his own people. Remember, Moses, in some ways, was Egyptian, wasn't he? He was, he was obviously an Israelite, but he'd grown up in Egypt. He knew many of the people, and he just saw the terrible destruction that Pharaoh was bringing upon his own people. And so Pharaoh there stands as a picture of the stubbornness, of the blindness, of tyranny, and sin, there's this great sort of arrogance in this ruler. Um, but we see the Lord's sovereign control even over the hearts of Pharaoh, even over this man who is opposing God's rule and, and doing everything he can to oppress uh, God's people. And yet, God's sovereign control is there at work, even over the hearts of uh, the rulers of men and the kings of the earth. And so the, the sovereign control of the Lord, that, that's seen all the way through it. So by chapter 12, verse 30, sorry, verse 40, that is, that is pulled out. It says that the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And, um, and so we see that, that on that very day, the Lord had done it. That is what he'd promised to Abraham all those years before, and it all worked out according to his sovereign plans and purposes. And so it's extraordinary, really, if you think you're living through 
this time, if you're an Israelite, living through just the destruction um, of, of Egypt, living through just the, the, the tyranny and the oppression, um, living through uh, the, the murder and the bloodshed. Think of an Israelite who's, who's had their own child murdered by being thrown into the Nile. Even over these terribly dark days, the Lord is sovereign and in control. It's extraordinary, isn't it? There's just this darkness of this whole period of history and how frightening it would have been to be caught up with that and these terrible plagues falling uh, all around him and how it would seem ridiculous, wouldn't it, to be an Israelite and to say, uh, for a man to say to his wife, uh, darling, don't worry, we just need to trust the Lord in this. Can you imagine saying that in the midst of just the, the murder and the terror of what was going on and just the sort of the, the coming apart of the nation and the breakdown of that whole civilization? To, to see all of that unfolding around you and see Egypt unraveling and being ruined and yet in the middle of that to say, well, you know, the Lord is sovereign and he's in control. Those words would, would sound foolish in your ears, but that is, by the end of it, that is what we see. We see, actually, in the midst of the darkness of these times, the Lord is sovereign. He is working out his plans and purposes, even through those, those terrible times. Uh, they would think, the, the, the Israelites living through these times would think, that God did not hear their cries. They, they cry out in their affliction. When you think of them as, as the members of their family are being killed, they would think, you know, does God hear our cry? Does he hear? But actually, we see, well, no, he did hear, and he was coming, and he did come down, and he acted in accordance with his covenant promises. It was the, the, the Egyptians who cry out to their gods, and there is no answer. This great cry goes up from Egypt and, uh, when, when it's the, the death of the, the firstborn. And there's a wailing just because of this the death of the firstborn. But also, uh, I think part of the idea there is that you know, they're crying out to their gods. And they're crying out to gods who do not answer. And there's this contrast. Who is the true and living God? It is the Lord who hears uh, our cries and so great confidence just as we consider these things to, to remember that the Lord is sovereign. He is in control of history, even through the darkest of days, even through uh, difficult days. He is sovereign over the hearts of um, the kings of the earth. The Lord is sovereign and works out his plans and purposes. And supremely, we, we see that as we come to consider um, the events of the gospel as step by step uh, these, these events where everything seems to be spinning out of control and Jesus is arrested and put on trial and then crucified and it seems to be an absolute disaster. And to be a disciple of Christ at that time was just to think that everything was lost and everything had come apart. But then when you look more closely at it, you see that everything that happens step by step by step, the Lord is actually fulfilling his great purposes of redemption. Even through the darkness of the cross. It was according to his set foreknowledge and plan that these things were, were coming about. And so we really just need to hold on to these things, don't we? The, the, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord reigns. He reigns over the nations. He reigns 
over our own lives, even in the midst of just situations which are desperately difficult, where we, we do not understand what is going on, or we look at the sort of the national, global, some of the global politics and movements and think, well, what is happening as, as the, the Western world seems to be shaken in different ways? Well, we can be confident to know that the Lord reigns over all of that and is continuing to, to bring about his great covenantal promises as he has done from age to age. So the Lord reigns his sovereign control. That is the first thing I just wanted to, to pull out uh, from this. But the second thing, we see the Lord's uh, provision of a lamb. The Lord's provision of a lamb. Take a lamb, uh, Moses says. I won't read through the whole thing again, but they, they are to take uh, the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts there. And... Um, the Lord would pass through and strike the firstborn in the land and, yet, and execute the judgments on all the gods of Egypt. Um, and yet the blood would be a sign for them. Just as Noah was kept safe in the ark and the Lord shut him in, so Israel would be kept safe, sheltered under the blood of the lamb which marked the doorposts. And I just want to consider with you for a moment... Um, Verse 13 and then verse, uh, verse 23. And just pull out these two verses. So verse 13 um, says, When I see the blood, uh, the Lord says, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now the word um, Passover there it translates, uh, the, the Hebrew term is pasach, um, uh, but it's a tricky word to, um, to translate. It doesn't occur very often, about six or seven times in the, um, in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And actually, when you come to look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it translates it in three different ways. So you think, well, actually, this, this is potentially quite a tricky word to, uh, to translate. And the, the word uh, Passover, the English word Passover, was coined by William Tyndale in his translation in 1522. Um, so that, that's where we kind of get the word into the, to the English uh, language. And so there's a, a debate really about the, the meaning of uh, this word. And um, the question really, I, I think, is does... Does it mean, often it's thought to mean leap or limp, implying movement, and that's the sort of, you know, I, I think the, the English word would give that impression, doesn't it? You sort of have the, uh, the judgment falling on, on down the street, on this house, and this house, and this house, but then the Lord passes over, some, something like that. That's the, the impression given by the English uh, word. Does it imply movement, or actually... Um, often, as we, we find it in the, in the scriptures, it means to be um, lame or paralyzed. It implies actually a lack of movement. So one of the places that this occurs is um, Isaiah 35, 6, uh, which is the, the verse which says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So you have this lame man leaping like a deer. 
and the lame man, that's the Pesach word, that's the, the sort of the Passover man. He is not moving, and there's this contrast between one who's not moving and then one who is leaping like a, a deer. Or it comes up in 2 Samuel 4, 4, with um, um, the, the Mephibosheth, if you remember the story. I'll just read 2 Samuel 4, 4. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, uh, had a son. So this is Jonathan's son, who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up, and he fled. And as she fled in her haste, he became uh, lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So here is poor old Mephibosheth. He's dropped, and he becomes lame, i.e. he can't, can't really move. So that's the word, the Pesach word there. And it's also, it, it comes in uh, 1 Kings 18.21, where it, it's translated in the English um, version. Um, Elijah's saying to the people, how long will you um, go limping between two opinions? Or, or how long will you Pesach between two opinions? So bear with me here. I am going somewhere with this. And so, um, so this, this meaning of Pesach... Um, most of the times it's translated, it doesn't seem to imply movement, but rather staying still and staying put. Um, and one of the translations in the, um, in the Greek version was, uh, of the Old Testament was the, the idea of shelter or protection. And I think that actually makes a lot more sense, here, here's the payoff, uh, of verse 23, when we come to look at, at verse 23. So if you look at that verse... It says, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will, uh, Pesach, this Passover word, the door, and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So, so here we have the Lord not allowing the destroyer to enter the house. So there's a, the destroying angel there, and the Lord, whatever he's doing, um, but he's protecting the house, sheltering it, staying put. This is the lame word, the Passover word. And so here is the Lord keeping his people safe. Now, in a sense, all, all that I've been talking about, in a way, it doesn't change. I'm not suggesting any novel theology here. If you are in the house sheltered by the blood of the lamb, you are safe. Uh, that, that, that isn't in question. But here is just this, this picture, I think, um, if this is right, of just the Lord protecting his people, keeping them safe, watching over his people like we think in, in Psalm 121, where it says the Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord guarding his people. And as we come to the end of the, the passage, we had it was a night of watching, the Lord watching over his people. So I think just that sense of the Lord being with his people in the midst of Egypt, guarding them, protecting them, keeping them, is something which I think there's great, great comfort here for us. 
But then we have to sort of think about this, this Passover lamb. Uh, why is it that the people are kept safe? Why is it that the firstborn sons in the house are kept safe? Well, it is because the blow has already fallen on the Passover lamb. The lamb has been offered as a substitute for the, for the firstborn son. It is on this lamb that the blow, that plague, has already fallen and the blood has been shed. So the, the shed blood says and signals the blow has already fallen here. That is over and done with. And so the Lord protects the inhabitants of the house, the, the firstborn sons who would then be the representatives of Israel. He protects them because the blow has already fallen on the lamb. And so therefore we, we have this just great, wonderful um, image of, of substitution of a lamb given in place of, uh, of, of Israel. And this, of course, just developed and flows through into the, the scriptures as we see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Passover lamb. The, the, the blow, the plague, fell upon him. And that his blood has been shed so that if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, the, the blow, the wrath of God against your sin has already taken place at the cross. It's already happened. If you're united to Christ by faith, um, you have already died and you have been buried in Christ. Uh, the, the, that blow has been struck and the blood has been shed so that we can look to the future knowing that we, um, we, are, we are forgiven and we will not face uh, God's wrath, that we are protected, that we are guarded, that we are kept safe. So the Lord provides a lamb for his people. We see in this passage his provision of, of a lamb and just how much is made of this and how the whole calendar and the national life is to be organized around this provision of a, a lamb for the people, how central that was to be in terms of their self-understanding and all these great commands of how they were then to remember it. And so to sum up, we see here, we see wonderfully the Lord's sovereign control in the Exodus, the Lord keeping his his promises for his people and, and that we need to, to continue to hold on to and to remember uh, given the darkness of our world. But in the heart of this we see the Lord's provision of a lamb and as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper we just remember the Lord Jesus, the one who was slain for us. Christ died for our sins and the institution uh, of um, of the Lord's Supper at Passover as Jesus comes as the great fulfillment of all these things as we remember Jesus slain for us. And so let us uh, come before God and pray and ask for his blessing. As we...
You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K.